scheduled in the bottom of the ninth. Look out! Oh, my goodness. The 0-1. Oh, that got him, and it got him in the face. Oh, my goodness. Well, after the little oh, okay. practice. There we go. There we go. So, that's it. Hello and welcome. You're up and in with the Chin Music Podcast. I am Nick, your host. Alongside me today, I've got the deepest pit of college baseball knowledge. Someone who is so incredible at podcasting that the only thing he does better is husk corn. Nebraska native, Ben. And he has two articles of clothing today that actually have corn on them. So it's very fitting for the intro today. And Ben, your question, would you rather have a million dollars right now or $25,000 each time you run a marathon? Um, give me a million dollars right now. I don't think I'd ever, like, I think I'd die before I finished my first marathon. Like that's that's a lot of marathons to get to a million, right? You got what times four? It's times 40. ten. That's forty marathons. Not 40 a chance. Marathons. I have bad knees. Not a chance I'd ever run those marathons. I think I'd probably finish the first one and be like, God, I should have just taken the million. Like a marathon per year, that's a lot. I can't run. I I think I think taking the million is a valid answer. Especially if, like you said, you do have bad knees. But I think, like, if you get $25,000 and you only have to run 40 marathons to get a million, oh, that's tough. I think I would just, like, become a runner, right? Like, you could just dedicate your whole life to becoming a runner. The most I've ever run is a 5K. And it, it was a turkey trot because my girlfriend's family did it, so I was forced into it. And, like, I got beat by, like, her 45-year-old her mom. Like, it was brutal. Like, I cannot run at all, and I hate doing it. Like, I like working out in other fashions, but, man, running is just the worst. Okay, it appears I chose the wrong person to ask this question to. <laughs> um, I, think, I, I think taking the million, I would have to think about it probably a lot. I, I don't know. I, I think it, it would it would be a full marathon to get twenty five thousand dollars. So you'd have to. I don't know. Forty marathons is a lot, but you could definitely do that. Fairly, I don't know. You could probably run forty marathons if you really put your mind to it pretty quickly. I uh I really hate those people who have like the twenty six point two stickers on their cars too. I'm like, what do you want a cookie? Like you can't just run the marathon. You got to tell everyone who's driving behind you that you ran a marathon as well. Like, come on. We get it. You run. I think the 26.2 stickers are like, okay, that's fine. But like when I see like the 13.1 stickers. <clears throat> Correct. Get over it. The 13.1 stickers are like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> you got a sticker for completing half a task. Yeah. There's a, there's a funny Daniel Tosh skit about that. It's like, if you read half a book, do you go and tell everybody? <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Next up. I'm honored to welcome high school football district champion and the greatest intramural quarterback that Truman State University has ever seen. Legend has it, he can hit a dime from 60 yards with his eyes closed. Number six on the field, but number one on this podcast. Palmyra native Brock. Brock, I am curious what your favorite fictional character from a sports movie is. Hmm. 
I'll start off with I must have done a really good job last podcast because I moved up the ranks. But I would say it's not really fictional, but it's the first one that came to mind. You can say if it doesn't count. But I'm going to go with – I mean, he's a real person. But Billy Bean acted by uh, by Brad Pitt in Moneyball. That's my favorite uh, sport movie, and that's probably my favorite character. Yeah, that does kind of go against to the question that was asked. <laughs> yeah, fictional is not. <laughs> um, I will go with um, – this is tough. Uh, I do really like Kevin Costner's uh, – I don't know if this is really fitting your role again, but the Draft Day movie – that Kevin Costner fake GM. It was so cringy, but I really, really liked that football movie. Yeah. I'm not sure I've seen that one. I think I would have to go with, like, I don't know, somebody from Remember the Titans, probably. Um, probably Coach Boone. I think I really like Coach Boone. Bobby Boucher, is that's. Was that a good choice? <laughs> that that counts. That counts. I don't think that's bad. Well, actually, no. For that to be your favorite fictional character from a sports movie, that's bad. I changed my mind. Okay. <laughs> and we are still waiting on Vansel. He's currently on a phone call. I will do his introduction uh, when he comes in. He said that hopefully he will be able to join us later. Um, but let's just go into some content updates. I can get some content updates from you all. Ben, what kind of content are you taking in right now? Uh, so obviously finishing up Succession. We don't need to go more into that. I think we've talked about it every single episode since we've been back. Um, but I started re-watching uh, a show I watched a couple years ago. It's a prime show called Sneaky Pete. It's about a con man. Um, I don't know. It's not like awesome, but it's like pretty fun. And I like the idea of like con men characters. It's like fun to watch him like like swindle different people in small situations and stuff like that. And just watching him like contort himself to be whatever he needs to be in any situation. So, yeah, I'm rewatching Sneaky Pete right now. Almost done. It's it's decent. Three seasons on Prime. I'd I'd recommend it's it's some fun stuff. and It's got some decent actors. Brock, what kind of content are you taking in these days? um succession as well but last night i did happen to watch i guess it's technically a sport but i've been gearing up for the indy 500 this weekend um so i watched talladega nights um on the newly renamed max it's not hbo max anymore um he is not one of my favorite fictional sports movie characters but i did rewatch that and it's a good uh a good old will ferrell throwback what about you, Nick? I, uh, Succession, obviously. I'm really pumped for the uh, for the last episode here this weekend. I've got a wedding on Sunday night. And I plan on just, like, walking around the wedding, being, like, talking about Succession. Like, does anybody want to watch the finale? We could, like, put it up. But I'm sure, I'm sure the people getting married are going to love that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I won't be doing that, but I'm excited this weekend. I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to wait to watch it because obviously I can't watch like at the wedding and I don't really want to like go back after the wedding that night and watch it. So I'll probably, uh, I'll probably have to stay off social media because I feel like there's just going to be spoilers everywhere. 
Um, so I'll probably have to avoid my phone for a little bit. Um, but yes, we have been talking about succession a lot. I started based on recommendations from this podcast, actually, I started the wire. Let's go over the course of the last few weeks. Um, and that show is very good. <laughs> uh, I'm like halfway or like, I'm, I'm probably like halfway through season one or actually, I don't know how many episodes seasons are. I'm like seven or eight episodes in and it's, it's pretty fire. I've recommended it to every single one of my friends, and you are the second person to take me up on the recommendation, I think. So thank you, Nick. Yeah, no, it's been it's been very good, uh, and I've, I've liked the beginning of it. Um, another show that I kind of want to talk about that I've been thinking about a little bit recently is Kaleidoscope, that show on Netflix that came out. I don't remember when. It was like they, they pushed it a lot when it came out originally. Like, you can watch this show in any order. Like, I feel like it was everywhere when it was coming out. And I feel like people talked about it for like a week and then it was done. And I watched like four or five episodes of that. I think there's like 10 total or nine total and they're all colors or maybe it's only eight even. Um, they're all colors and you can watch them whatever order you want. I watched, I think three or four episodes and I really enjoyed it, but I guess, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't finished watching it, um, but I was thinking that I wanted to go back and finish watching it the other day, but now that I'm, I go ahead. I was just going to say, I did watch that. I'm curious what order are you watching it in a specific order or just a randomly generated Netflix order? It was just a random order that I selected arbitrarily. I think I've watched like green, orange, and purple. Maybe I I watched one. I'm trying to like jump around the timeline a little bit so that I actually get the experience of like it not being in chronological order because it'll tell you i think it tells you in the description like this one is you know six years before the heist 25 years before the heist whatever six months after the heist like i think you see all that so i've been kind of jumping around yeah i'm I'm pretty lame um i watched in chronological order i it is a very forgettable show i i did enjoy it though it does the gustavo freeing off of breaking bad what's that what's that actor's name isn't he in the isn't he in kaleidoscope I'm not sure. I've not seen Breaking Bad. I need to watch that. Yeah. I'll stick with it. Whatever order you watch it in, it's it's pretty good all around. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was like, I was pretty happy with how it was turning out when I was watching. I don't know why I never really finished it. The only um, problem I have with it is like at the end of each episode, it makes it a plausible ending. So it doesn't have like great flow from episode to episode and is kind of easy to like stop in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess I did stop in the middle so I can speak to that. I, I mean, it was a long time ago when I watched it and I haven't picked it back up. But I, I mean, I thought it was good and I'll probably pick it back up at some point. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the content that I've been taking in. Hopefully we uh, can get Vansel soon. We can get his content update as well. Um, we'll just jump right into T around the league. I'm going to, I'm going to start with the second T that I had listed on the notes here, because I think that's a little bit more interesting and there's a little bit more to talk about with the, uh, the Yankees cheating scandal. So I guess Brock has a little bit more on this, but from what I saw is the Blue Jays announcers noticed that when Aaron judge was batting, he was looking over towards his dugout or he was looking so like he's a right-handed batter and he's looking over to his like like in front of him instead of 
or to the right of him, I guess, towards his dugout, rather than looking at the pitcher, like his eyes were like darting over. And it was obvious enough, and he was doing it enough that the Blue Jays announcers like caught on to it. And then all of a sudden he, you know, hits a home run, like the pitch after he's looking over there. And then they ask him about it after the game. And I think it was pretty obvious after the game, at least, that he was lying about his reasoning for looking over there. He's like, oh, yeah, some guys in the dugout were jarring, and I was looking over to figure out who it was because um, we were up 6 nothing at the time. And he's like, I don't think we should be talking trash when we're up 6 nothing." And I think, I mean, obviously he was lying because I don't know, first of all, why are you doing that while you're, like, getting ready for a pitch to come? And another thing, why are you doing it multiple pitches you know like i guess if they were like continually jarring and you're like continually checking over to see who's the one that's doing it but that still seems like kind of a ridiculous explanation from judge um and then an additional yankees cheating scandal is the domingo Herman got suspended 10 games we talked about him on a podcast um couple uh couple weeks ago i can't remember exactly but he was like told to wash his hands he went back wash his hands and came back in uh, Major League Baseball has said that they're really kind of trying to crack down on pitchers using, you know, sticky stuff that allows them to have better spin rates. But there's a couple things with this suspension. One, watching like the video of it, you can see like when he puts his hand on his pants, like it's so obvious that it looks like he's got like pine tar on his hands. Like it looks, it looks pretty, pretty bad. Like when he wipes it on his leg, there's like pretty clear residue on his um, pants based on the replay. But it's just interesting because he's a guy that have there's been talk about him cheating with the sticky stuff in a previous start like a couple weeks ago. Um, and just additionally, like now he's suspended for the 10 games and it just, I don't know, it, it's not a good look for him or the Yankees really. I guess with the sticky stuff, it's a little bit interesting because it's probably just the pitcher and the coach and stuff probably just say, you know, do your own thing. And like the coach probably isn't the one like either telling him to use sticky stuff or, you know, whatever it might be, but it's probably more on Domingo Armand in that scenario. But my thought, and one thing that Vansel mentioned to kind of monitor the sticky stuff and he's not here to defend his take here, but in that start when Domingo Armand got ejected, his spin rates were not significantly different than they had been the rest of the season. So I saw some people tweeting out that it kind of was a hit on the like retroactive or, you know, like looking back at spin rates and kind of enforcing it that way, just because his spin rates weren't significantly different, which I thought was interesting. So um, Brock, tell us a little bit more about the judge drama. I guess you had more, more evidence or more stuff to talk about, and then you can talk about Domingo Ramon as well. Yeah, I was scrolling through Twitter either today or yesterday, and um, it was more of like a breakdown of the whole situation. So there were some other clips in that same series that showed the Blue Jays uh, coaches in the dugout yelling at the Yankees coaches, calling them explicit, like cussing at them, calling them fat boys, this, that, and the other. And well, the reason they were yelling was because the coaches on the first and third base lines, there's little coaches boxes if you ever go to a game or watch a game, you don't really see those coaches line on TV. But if you go to a game, you'll see there's boxes. Well, it's like very, very loosely enforced, never enforced really, that the coaches need to stand in the box. 
Well, the Yankees coaches were standing outside of the box, and the theory is that the first base um, coach down the first base line was standing outside of the box to read the this the hand signals from the catcher. I can't remember who was pitching that game for the Blue Jays, but he wasn't using the pitch com. So they think that he was reading the sign and then relaying it to Judge. And that's why Judge kept looking over there at him because he had a hand signal for what pitch was coming, which is cheating. <laughs> but there's been no real headline of that. So I think it's more speculative than anything. But, um, yeah, that was really – one thing that I hadn't seen a whole lot of, obviously, there were all those videos of Judge looking to the right, which is just very odd. When you're in the box, you want to be looking at the pitcher and watching him come set and try to see if he's tipping. But I guess you don't need to see if he's tipping if you know what pitch is coming. So that was my piece there. Um, and then as far as the sticky stuff goes, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head with that one. I made the joke earlier before we got on here. I'm going to say it again. I guess because the Yankees lost the Astros um, in that ALCS a few years ago, they just get they can just cheat a little bit <laughs> during the regular season since they their season was bounced due to cheating as well. So I don't know, it just kind of stinks of Yankee favoritism to me. Um, judge being tipped to pitch, and then also their pitchers continually using sticky stuff. And it sounds like I didn't know that, but Domingo Armand. Um, did get a suspension, you said, Nick. You can just give me a head nod if, if that's true. Yeah. So, Domingo Ramon did get suspended after the second time. The first time, they just told him to wash his hands off. And they've had other instances of pitchers' um, fingers being, quote-unquote, too sticky. And their repercussion is just go clean your hands, which I guess Scherzer did that too. But I don't know. It just feels wrong. Yeah, I, uh, I dislike the Yankees, and I agree that there's uh, maybe some favoritism going on here as being like the, you know, like the most iconic franchise of all time. But, I mean, kind of makes sense. The Yankees kind of have to be panicking a little bit right now. You see the Orioles with, you know, all the wins they're having. Tampa Bay Rays absolutely dominating. Toronto Blue Jays maybe like the most talented roster in the division. And the Red Sox overperforming. So, I mean doesn't surprise me that they'd turn to something like this, but, you know, I'm always thinking the worst of the Yankees. So, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Another thing I left off um, with the coaches box, the MLB is now enforcing for the first time um, in recorded history that the first and third base coach has to stay in the box. They can't like toe the line or step outside of the line. So the MLB saying that and doing that makes me think that they were reading the signals. But again, with Pitchcom being so prevalent, I feel like stealing signs is kind of hard or would be mitigate. The risk is mitigated because of the pitch comp. So I think they just said, no, you can't stand outside of the box. So there's no gray area with that. Just. Yeah, that's crazy. I feel like I've been to tons of games and watched tons of games and I've never seen the coaches anywhere near the boxes. Like they're always so far out of it. Um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, that obviously involves the coaches with if the coaches were like looking at the signs and doing something to judge to indicate to them what pitch was coming. But I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts about Domingo Armand and using, you know, whatever, whatever substance he's using to make his hand sticky. It's like the second start he's run into problems with like, what do you think the coaches 
have like to say in that situation? What kind of input do you think they have? Like, do you think they'll go to Domingo Roman like after that first instance? Do they go to Domingo Roman and say, hey, we need you to only use this or only do that? Or like what kind of, or do you think it's all kind of on the pitchers in that scenario? Like I said, obviously the one where the coach is like taking the signs and motioning to judge potentially, hypothetically, allegedly, um, would involve the coaches. But I'm curious what a coach involvement in this Domingo Roman stuff would be. I mean, they have to have some awareness, right? I remember Aaron Boone giving an interview after Herman was accused the first time against the twins. And he talked about how Herman likes to hit the rosin in the dugout or whatever. So clearly they have at least some sort of idea what these guys are doing in the dugout pre-inning, you know, pre-game, you know, but I mean, that seems more like an individual player thing, but you got to have some awareness what's happening in your dugout there. Right. I mean, it's 26 man roster. I mean, it's, it's kind of your job to have an understanding of what your players are doing. So I think that kind of falls on, you know, both parties, especially the second time around getting accused of using it. But I mean, it's, it's definitely harder to say, you know, cause these guys are full grown adults. I mean, I don't think the manager should have to babysit them, but he clearly had an understanding of what Herman liked to do between innings. So I feel like he, he has to know something's going on there. Can the MLB, and this is, maybe a hot take but can the MLB just come out with some like regulated substance that they give all pitchers like rosin used to be that but now if you're too sweaty and use too much rosin then you're done like if they just come out with some sort of substance say this is what we're using now and it they can control how sticky like the maximum stickiness of it is which that may be hard to do I'm not quite sure but I feel like this is there's so much gray area with um, the umpire saying, oh, this is my level of stickiness that's too sticky. And then others may not care at all, and they just let them pitch. Yeah, I think th- the problem that you just pointed to, like having that maximum level of stick to the substance is the issue. I think that a lot of guys, at least from what I've seen on social media and stuff, are saying things like rosin interacts with different people's sweat differently and you know like it's there's a whole spectrum of what rosin does for different guys and how they use it and i guess it probably has a decent amount to do with like how much rosin and like i saw that experiment where they mixed it with rubbing alcohol and it made it super sticky so i don't know i don't really know what there is that they can do players can now only use maple syrup Bingo. Uniform sticky substance and it's syrup. Bingo. That has got to be stickier than the spider tech even. I feel like I always wash my hands like four times when I'm eating pancakes because it always gets on my fork or my knife and I it's just the worst experience ever. I can't stand it. <laughs> all right, all right. We can we can move on past the Yankees. Um, and talk about <laughs> Zach Hample. Um, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce his name. I don't know much about this guy, but I guess there's this guy, Zach Hample, who goes to baseball games all over the country, and he tries to catch big, important baseballs. So he'll be sitting 
you know, where like a guy might hit his first home run or like he was at all those Yankees games when judge was trying to hit his 62nd. Um, and he's caught, I think a couple of like pretty important baseballs. I don't, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he's been there and caught a couple of pretty important balls, but he's like this middle-aged guy who brings his glove to all these games and is like trying to catch all these important baseballs. And I guess he was going to minor league games and catching like big prospects, home runs and stuff, but some minor league stadiums have now come out and started banning him from the games. And I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts here. Um, I think it's interesting. It depends on like, I guess I've seen some videos of where he's like shoving people out of the way and like being pretty rude about getting these baseballs. So obviously if he's being a problem, I think it's wrong. And I think like it's against the spirit to like be going into these games and like trying to catch all these balls. is like a, I don't know. It, 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 it like rubs me the wrong way, but I don't know if I would go as far as to like ban him from stadiums and stuff, but I don't know if you guys Brock, what do you got? Yeah, I think you drew a good distinction there. If if he's just going to games and like strategically choosing his seat, like for the highest probability of catching the ball, that's one thing. I think we talked about this in a few podcasts though. Like if I caught Albert Pujols's like record breaking home run ball, I would give that ball back to Albert. <laughs> it seems like he's doing it just to like have a trophy case full of like balls that he's caught. I don't know. It seems like if he had a girlfriend in his life, this was one of those things that they say, probably don't do that. But um, I think the reason he became kind of big or this, his name has become popular is because of the Cedric Mullen um, cycle game. It's a little background on that game. It was a Baltimore Orioles game. Um, and it was a day that they had this, uh, he's like a professional MLB, the show player. Um, his name's AJ Rodriguez. Um, code name Little Man Seventeen. Um, I don't know how to say this nicely. He he has some sort of um, genetic disorder that he's like really really short and small and then confined to a wheelchair. So it was in in all of his gameplays, he has hilarious commentary while he's uh, streaming MLB the Show. And whenever his favorite player Cedric Mullins, he just absolutely mashes with Cedric Mullins in MLB the Show. So he always yells Cedric Mullins whenever he's playing. So the, the game, the Orioles had him like come down onto the field and it was like this whole big uh, little man day. Well, Cedric Mullins, his favorite player hit a cycle that same day. And Zach Hample caught the home run ball from Cedric Mullins cycle. And the video was saying like, why don't you give the ball to little man? Why don't you give the ball to little man? Like it's his day. It's his favorite player. And Zach Hample said it's, it's Zach's ball today or something. And it was just the most cringy video ever. And that makes me not like this Zach Hample guy because I love Little Man. He should have given the ball to Little Man. Who cares about a Cedric Mullins cycle ball? That ball meant way more to A.J. Rodriguez than it does that guy. So I do have a feeling about that that situation. But as far as going being banned from games, yeah, like you said, if he's not if he's fighting people and like pushing over little kids to get balls, he's, there's no place for that and he shouldn't be there. But if he's just sitting in a seat and catching balls that's part of it but also i I think i've kind of taken a step back a little bit because if he's going there to catch these important balls and he's gonna be a guy that just like pockets it and isn't like willing to give it to the players and stuff 
I don't like they're, you know, they're a private organization and they can ban people from the stadium if they don't want them there. And if that is going to be his mindset, like he's going to go and try and catch all these important balls and do everything he can to get there. If I'm the Yankees, I don't want to have to deal with that. I want, if one of my players are going to hit a big, important home run, I want to be able to negotiate with the people out there and get that player his ball. Cause I think that we've talked about this on this podcast a lot. Like those, those balls mean so much more to those players, like Volpe's first home run or judges 62nd when he broke the record, like all that stuff. It means so much more. And I think if I was a team, I I'm not against them saying like, we don't want this guy at the stadium. If we know that he's coming here targeting these balls and he's not going to negotiate or give it to our players when they hit it. So I'm, even even if he's you know being respectful about it in the stands and he's not like shoving people out of the way, I'm still not opposed to banning him from the stadium if they're doing that. Yeah, I'm pro ban as well. Um, I've never understood like the fascination of like adult men wanting to catch home run balls or like foul balls. I think if you're over the age of 18 and you come to a game with a glove, they should take it away from you. Like, what are you doing, man? Get over it. Like, do you really need that foul ball? Did you, like, never catch one when you were young? Um, And as far as the whole, like, targeting special baseballs and, like, not giving them back to players, like, come on. Like, what are you doing? I understand, like, you know, some people, like, kind of hold them ransom to make a little bit of money out of it. But if you're, like, specifically targeting that kind of thing, that seems, like, incredibly scummy. Also, like, that ball means like way more to like a child as well. Not only the players, like just a random home run ball, a kid catches that or gets that ball. That's going to like cement baseball in his mind and in his memory. It's going to be pure nostalgia. He's going to love it. You got some 40 year old schmuck elbowing kids to get random home run balls. It's like, dude, get over it. What's wrong with you? Like, come on. It's just, just seems super scummy. I don't get it. I think I think Brock was correct. He he probably needs a girlfriend. Probably needs to get laid. I think that in terms of I think probably like obviously if you have a kid you can bring a glove if you're a middle aged man like catching it for yeah. your kid. And I think that what I will do at games typically is I'll always like I'll like have it ready like if I catch the home run ball like I'll like scout out like a like a family around me that has like a small child that I could give the ball to and like be up on the big screen when I'm doing it type deal. Like I always have that, I always have that plan in place. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't hate like if, you know, if like a middle-aged person like catches a home run ball and they're like excited about it and they want to keep the ball. I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. The, the whole um Zach Hample thing and like going after these important balls and like keeping them from the players and stuff that I'm definitely opposed to but like if you're you know whenever whenever middle age whenever somebody considers somebody middle age like you mentioned over 18 if somebody goes there and catches a ball and is excited about it I I don't know and they want to keep it I I don't I don't mind that like I think that what really bugs me is when you're at the game and like this middle-aged person catches a ball and is clearly very excited about it and is like gonna hold on to it and then like the crowd is booing them because they're not giving it to a child or something like i think "Ah, like come on like just just let him keep the ball it's fine 
it, it's it's I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal if they want to keep it. And it's at this point that Nick's girlfriend goes green flag. <laughs> like I I don't know. I, I don't think that's I don't think it's a big deal. I don't know. I have bad experiences with seeing adults catch balls. I was at a Rockies game a couple of years ago. Addison Russell hit a home run into a trash can. And it was like this old dude and a 13 year old boy, like running and like rifling through the trash can. And out of nowhere, <laughs> you see the Rockies, like old dude, like throw a bow into the kid and box him out and get the ball and then hold it up. Like he just like won the world series. And I was like, I, I've never booed so loud in my life. I was, <laughs> I was me and my dad were losing it on this guy. We were heckling him and stuff. Uh, bad experience. It, it tainted me to any adult who's so excited to get a home run ball. Yeah, that yeah. obviously is a bad look. Like if you're elbowing a child to get them out of the way. Or obviously, like in the scenario where there's an outfielder that's been throwing a ball back and forth and he like picks this kid out in the crowd and is like throwing the ball to the kid and like an adult like goes and grabs it from the kid like obviously bad situation horrible situation boo that person but i think like we... in the scenario where there's just like this person that's sitting and like just catches this home run ball i think that's fine sometimes i forget that like adults can also be having their first good experience with baseball and like yeah. that can be exciting for them yeah. as someone who's been to like so many games and caught like several foul balls and like a couple home run balls like I forget that other people have never experienced that. Um, somewhat in the same vein, how do you guys feel about, um, say you're at a Cardinals game, a Cubby hits a home run, you're sitting in the outfield wall, you catch it, do you throw the ball back onto the field, or do you find the kid and give the kid the ball? Uh, if you're at Wrigley, you have to throw it back on the field or you'll get ridiculed the whole game if the opponent hits the home run. I think that's bad sportsmanship. I don't know how the Cardinals feel about that, but the Cubbies, they, they throw all the visiting home runs back. Wouldn't it mean more to find a little kid and give him that ball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm with Brock here. I don't, I don't, I think it depends on like, if I'm at a, like a big game and the opposing team hits home run, I'm like, I don't know. I, I probably would look for somebody like a child that's a fan of the other team and, try and give it to them i'm trying to show off my arm strength i want to get scouted yeah but like if i'm if it's like a cardinals yankees playoff like world series game and judge hits a home run i'm throwing that back and hitting him while he's running the bases <laughs> that's just bush league wrigley stuff <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm glad that we all decided that minor league stadiums banning zach ample is okay we're going to do a little segment, Would You Rather. Um, I think most people listening to this podcast are listening for fantasy purposes. So I think we'll kind of keep it in a fantasy light. We'll start off, and I think Ben will probably want to talk about this one. Uh, I want Christopher Morel, or do I want Jorge Soler? Which one of those players do I want on my fantasy team? So, you know, you got two guys who, one former Cub, one a current Cub. And Jorge Soler is having a really nice season. I think he has, you know, 12 or 13 pumps hitting in the middle of the Marlins order, though, you know, it's not a great lineup, but he's got some chances for some RBIs. But Christopher Morrell is just on an absolute smoker right now. 
nine home runs in 12 games. He just hit another one tonight. That's his fifth consecutive game with a homer. Um, obviously, he's not going to keep this kind of pace up. If he did, he'd hit like 100 home runs this year. But, I mean, he he's looking like, you know, like Tatis Light right now. Plus, you get the added benefit that he's probably going to steal double-digit bags, something Soler doesn't bring to the table. And I'd also make the argument that I think the Cubs lineup, though it does have flaws, is probably a little bit better than the Marlins. So between those two, I'm going to go with Christopher Morrell. However, if you do have Christopher Morrell in fantasy, this is like an all-time sell-high position right now because, like, no one's ever going to, like, stay on the pace of home run hitting that Christopher Morrell is. Like, he's – this is going to be probably the hottest stretch of his whole career. So I understand selling high, but between the two, I probably got to go morale here. Yeah, I, I think Ben kind of covered all of that. I, I think it's hard not to choose morale right now, just because that he, just because he's shown, just in a short amount of time since being recalled that I mean he's had like six or seven straight games with home runs um he has second base eligibility um which is um really nice as well Jorge Soler I mean yeah he's hit 40 home runs in the past Luis Arise is going to get on base so he has RBI potential but I think it's just hard not to choose Morel right now as scorching hot as he is um hopefully Nick you can make a case for Soler because I think he's your guy. (laughs) I am absolutely making a case for Solaire, and I figured this would be a good topic for the podcast. You said um, Solaire's hit 40 home runs before. Try 48 home runs before. Um, I think Jorge Solaire is honestly, I don't want to say the no doubt choice, but I certainly would rather have Jorge Solaire here. Um, If we had to guess what, Christopher Morrell's strikeout rate is right now. What what, what would we guess here? Oh, 40 percent-ish. He's came 30, a lot. 37 and a half percent. Yeah. And that's during this hot streak. So I think he's just it's just not gonna be sustained at all. Like his barrel percentage is 30% right now. There's just no way any player will ever do that. And the 37% strikeout rate, like I feel like we saw this same thing from Morrell last season. He came up, he was hot for a stretch, and then his K's caught up to him, and he ended up at the end of the year in the bottom 4% of the league in strikeout percentage. And I just think he's not good enough to overcome that. And I think his his walk percentage, he's halved it since last year. He's only walking 4% of the time after he was walking 9% of the time last year, meaning his only way to get on base is hitting the ball. And right now he is striking out almost 40% of the time, which is absolutely ridiculous it's way too high there's no way his strut his home run rate is going to keep up this good i think now is the time like ben said i think you should sell christopher morale for almost anything you can get him for right now because i don't think at the end of the season he's going to be very valuable now i will say okay i i just i will say that the power speed thing is a good case for morale because jorge soler isn't going to steal a base all here and christopher morale obviously is fast and is willing to run. 
um, sprint speed 80th percentile. Like he's 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 gonna steal obviously way more bases than Jorge Soler, and that is a case for Morel in the fantasy standpoint. But Jorge Soler's cut his strikeout rate down to 25%, which is the second or third lowest of his career. He's looking really good this year. His walk rate's right at about 10%, which is fine. It's pretty, it's not super low or it's not super high, but it's not like bottom of the league type low. He's been at the top of the league and max exit velocity his entire career. He's absolutely crushing lefties this year. He's almost batting 400 against lefties and he's hit a, a lot of home runs off him this year. Like I think it's just, it's gotta be Soler and you never will question playing time with Soler. Um, whereas you would think you would say that about Morel as well, but he started in AAA for the Cubs this year. Um, so obviously they didn't start with the faith in him. And last year he came up and had a hot streak and then ended up sitting more towards the end of the year because he just was striking out too much and they can't have that in the lineup. All right. I understand all those concerns. 100% the K rate's concerning. The walk rate I'm not concerned about. When you're as hot as Morel is, you want to swing the bat. And if you've looked at like – a third of his home runs, they've been on balls like well off the plate. And there are guys in the big leagues who can have a high K rate and they have, you know, such like special abilities like a Fernando Tatis. Obviously that's a lofty comparison. He's not Tatis, but who can K at a high 20% rate and still be quite effective. You keep saying Tatis, which is wrong. He's Javi Baez light. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> and I was never a Javi Baez fan, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. And Javi Baez, <laughs> I don't think Javi Baez struck out 37% in his entire career ever. No, he didn't. No, he did any... when he came up. He struck out at like almost a 50% clip his first year in the big leagues. It looks like his first year was 30%. Re- really? Yeah, it was, yeah, 30%, 24%. He was never, he, he struck out 30 Four percent of the time, or thirty-three point six percent of the time in twenty twenty-one, um, which was, I think, a pretty pitiful year for him. I also think Morel's walk rate will normalize. Just when you're this hot, you want to swing the bat. And if you look at his AAA numbers, he was walking a pretty good amount at like a like a double-digit clip. I think the walks are going to come back once he's not quite as hot. Like, I don't think that's the type of like. I don't think he's going to walk at like what a two percent clip the rest of the season. I don't know. I think I would predict that it's much more likely that Christopher Morrell is like not an everyday player for the Cubs at the end of this year. It's much more likely that is the case than he stays hot. That's fair. And when I say stays hot, when I say stays hot, I don't even mean, you know, this obviously unsustainable home run pace that he's on right now. I just mean stays hot as in, is you know a top he's a not if he's a top 25 outfielder like i think it's more likely that he's a bench bat on the cubs at the end of the season than he's a top 25 outfielder at the end of the year he has been hot for about 40 games now if you count his triple a numbers he has 21 homers in 41 games that is a very long period to be hot entirely absurd that is ridiculous but i'm still I think Javi Baez is a good comp, except Chris Romero strikes out more than Javi Baez. Which is bad. Okay, so I'm taking Soler. 
Also, Solaire crushes lefties. And if we're talking about this week specifically, I think you need to, everybody that has Solaire available that can do like daily lineup changes needs to pick up Solaire and put him in their lineup. Like, I think he's must own right now. He's in Colorado and he's playing a bunch of lefties this week. I think he, need, he needs to be in the lineup this week. Um, but I, I'm just a soul. I, I am a big Solaire fan. Um, the next one I've got are two uh, older guys, two veterans who are having less than desirable seasons. Um, I'm looking at Starling Marte and Jose Abreu. Ben, which one of those guys would you rather have on your fantasy team and you think could potentially turn it around and do something with their season here? Um, give me Starling Marte here. Even with him being like pretty bad to start the year, at least he's ownable because of what the nine, 10 stolen bases he has. You know he's probably going to steal some bags for you. And I think these are two guys who aren't going to be this bad the rest of the year. But, man, Jose Abreu concerns me. He's, like, five years older than Marte as well. So I think there's a, a, a bigger chance that Marte turns it around. And if he doesn't, you know he's going to give you the steals and probably some runs being in that really, really good lineup, opposed to an Astros lineup that's, like, kind of hot right now but has been real sketchy this year and is not very deep. I mean – they're starting like David Hensley almost every day and a bunch of random Chaz McCormick, a bunch of random guys in that lineup. So give me Marte for some safety. And I think he has a higher chance of kind of figuring it out than Jose Abreu. Yeah, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to preface this. It depends on what you need. If you're looking for some speed, then you go Marte. If you need RBIs, you go Abreu. The thing that concerns me with Abreu is, yeah, he's 36 years old. If you pull up his baseball savant page, he is awful. Like, his exit velocities are still pretty good, but everything else is, like, bottom 20th percentile. Um, his power is completely fallen off. He has zero home runs in his last, like, I don't know how many hundred plate appearances. Um, these guys are both kind of gross. They're probably, like, the most dropped – old guys in all of your leagues. Um, Starling Marte's sprint speed has also fallen off a cliff. Um, let me pull up his last years here. Um, it looks like he was 68th percentile in 2022. In 2021, it was 83rd percentile. And it, this year in 2023, it is um, 43rd percentile. So uh, he's slowed down a lot. Um I was never really a big Starling Marte fan. Um, he never really put up the counting stats um, to warrant him being drafted so high. Everyone, I think he stole 43 bags one year or like two or three years ago, like 2021 maybe. Um, so he's still drafted highly. Um, man, I, I don't like either of these guys, but I'm going to go with Jose Abreu just because, yes, what Ben said is true. The Astros have struggled. Um, but I think with the addition of Jose Altuve this week, the things start to pick back up. Um, runners, Ducks will be on the pond for him to just knock guys in. He's an RBI king. He was led the um, AL and RBIs like two years ago um, with the White Sox, who were really, really bad. Um, his clutch, if you play him, will be the show. His clutch is 120. Um, he, might bite, he might bat 200, but when runners are on, he's going to bat 450. So, I'm going to lean Jose Abreu, but I'm not happy with either selection. 
I am in a similar boat. I am going to be leaving, leaning Jose Abreu. Um, I think he's got, like you mentioned, the RBI potential. Um, the Starling Marte speed thing, I think, is going – I think if you have Starling Marte and you can get anything out of his name value and the fact that he has a lot of steals right now, I think that you should. Um, he's, like Brock said, he's below 50th percentile on sprint speed this year. And he's getting caught stealing a lot more later in his career. It has actually fallen off a cliff over these last two or three years. I have dropped them both in my dynasty league. Um, I think, yeah, I just, I don't think either of them has much value. I'm very worried about Jose Abreu just being done, but I think that Jose Abreu turning it around looks a lot better than Starling Marte turning it around. And for that reason, I think that Jose Abreu is worth more. Because I think Jose Abreu could lead the league in RBIs in any given month for the rest of this season, and I wouldn't be particularly surprised. I just think the Mets are struggling right now, and I think that they're going to stop sending Starling Marte because he's getting caught so much, and I don't think he's going to be stealing many bases. He's not getting on base. He's batting in the back half of that lineup. I don't think Starling Marte is somebody that we can really rely on anymore. But I guess from like a dynasty perspective – Starling Marte is younger than Jose Abreu. And if Jose Abreu is, I don't know. I, I don't think either of them holds much value in any league. I <laughs> basically is my final say. Um, the last, or the next one I've got are, uh, we're moving to pitchers now. We've got three would you rather's for pitchers. First one I've got is Alec Manoa or Yuri Perez. We'll start with Brock on this one. Um, as an Alec Manoa dynasty holder, um, I guess I should start saying their teams for the people who don't care about fantasy. Um, he's a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, and Yuri Perez um, was the number one pitching prospect. Just got called up uh, two or three weeks ago for the Miami Marlins. Um, circle back as an Alec Manoa dynasty owner, and Vansel did a little segment on him a few weeks ago. Vansel tried to be optimistic about it, but I I don't share that optimism. He did have a decent start. Um, against the Orioles last week, maybe in his last start, um, five and a third. I'm off on Alec Manoa. <laughs> He's a sinker ball, um, change up guy. It's just, I don't think that he can, I don't think, I don't see him rebounding. Um, he's not really getting swing and misses. Um, the K numbers are bad. He's just kind of blah. Yuri Perez, on the other hand, is a six, eight, 20 year old. Um, with 99 percentile fastball spin, um, he looks like what Sandy Alcantara was last year. <laughs> um, he did uh, give up three runs, maybe today. Yeah, today's the 23rd. Um, and as, he, as a 20-year-old, he's going to have to learn how to pitch to um, MLB hitters. But the ceiling is really, really high, we think, for Yuri Perez. So I'm going to take the flyer on. Uh, the number one pitching prospect, who's a 6'8", 20-year-old with uh, elite, elite, elite underlying numbers um, over a sinker ball pitcher who's been getting rocked. The only concern would be two things. One, innings limits for a 20-year-old. Um, if you're in a redraft format, um, you would think that Alec Manoa would pitch deep into the season. Um, he's pitched two full seasons pretty much now. <clears throat> Yuri just got called up, likely shut down. The, the Marlins may be out of it. So, sorry, I am under the weather, so I'm going to clear my throat really quick. I'm going to mute myself. 
Okay, Yuri Perez um, will probably get shut down by the end of the year, I'd imagine, if the Marlins are out of it. They just don't need to um, push him and have that injury risk. Um, and then the second part is, again, with the 20-year-old, he could get lit up um, in a start or two, and then they could just send him down to finish the season. So there's a lot of risk with Yuri Perez, but I'm going to take that flyer just because Alec Manoas looks so bad. So as a Yuri Perez owner, I'm actually going to go with Alec Manoa here um, for a lot of the reasons Brock just mentioned with the fact that he's not going to get shut down. You know, he's going to pitch, you know, deeper into ball games. So Yuri, his first three starts hasn't gone past five innings and they haven't really let him, I think his max amount of pitches in a game has been like 91. So in a categories league like ours, it's really tough to see a guy yeah, kind of go out there and dominate, but then they're going to pull him before he ever gets a chance to get a quality start or gets a chance to rack up serious K numbers. Yuri Perez, like all the way in dynasty. I mean, the underlying numbers are nuts. You know, his fastball has higher RPMs than Bryce Miller's does. I mean, he's going to be a crazy good pitcher. But this year, if someone offered me Alec Manoa for Yuri Perez right now, I would probably take it. Um, you know, he's a horse, and I don't think he's going to be this bad all year. I mean, he's got to figure something out, right? Um, and Yuri just kind of gives me those concerns with the shutdown. He's only 20. They clearly don't want to push him at all. So I think he's kind of like an overrated fantasy asset at this point. Uh, he's been kind of kind of frustrated to own. He's been good for my ERA, but like, man, it's really annoying that they pull him after the fifth inning. Every time he pitches only went four and a third tonight. Um, that's always going to be kind of frustrating. And he, he's probably not even going to finish the season, the rotation. So long-term give me Yuri Prez over Alec Manoa any day of the week. But for this year in a, in a fantasy league, I'm probably going to have to go with Manoa despite his struggles. Yeah, I, I think when I put this one on here, I thought this one would be the most lopsided, but I'm surprised that you were both so kind of close on it. And I say that I thought I was going to be the most lopsided, and I think I'm going to do kind of a cop-out answer. I think it depends on your team and kind of what your record is and what you need moving forward and kind of the structure of your league. I think if you need somebody that is going to be good for you come like fantasy playoff time, I think Alec Manoa is going to have to be your guy. Obviously he's bad, but you can sit him on your bench for now while he looks bad and hopefully he figures it out and looks more like Alec Manoa come the end of the season when you need him. Um, and if you do need somebody come end of the season, I don't think Yuri Perez for the reasons that we've talked about being shut down, the Marlins aren't going to be competing. So they have no reason to push him. He might be put into the bullpen to kind of save uh, his arm and innings a little bit. But if you're struggling, if you're in ninth place in your league right now, ninth out of 10 or, you know, 11th out of 12, I'm not going to tell you to hold on to Alec Manoa right now over Yuri Perez. Like I think Yuri Perez would be a good person to have on your team right now. He looks nasty. Um, he did only pitch four and a third innings today, but, and gave up three runs, but it was in course field. I'll give him a pass for that. Um, I just think that Yuri Perez and how crazy his stuff looks, I think he needs to be 
on a roster, and I think he needs to be on a roster over Alec Manoa. I'm below 500 in my big money redraft league, and I have both of these guys on my team. And I've had to think about dropping one of my pitchers, and I think I've gotten closer to dropping Alec Manoa than I have Yuri Perez, which feels crazy, but it does feel like kind of where I'm at. Um, just because I'm I'm struggling and there's only four teams out of the 12 that make the playoffs. Like I need to be up at the top of the leaderboard by the end of the year. And I don't think Alec Manoa is doing me any good right now on my team. Um, and I will say he had 51 starts prior to this year. And obviously he had like a below three ERA and looked really good. But the underlying numbers, the stuff that we're talking about, Yuri Perez, that looks so good, never really was there for Alec Manoa. And he always kind of defied the fact that, you know, his spin rates weren't great. His strikeout rate wasn't amazing. And like his expected ERA and all those numbers were always a little bit worse than he was pitching. And I think that I worry that this is more of just regression to the mean for him and kind of catching up with his numbers that were never as impressive as he pitched. So that is a little bit concerning. But yeah, I'm going to do the cop-out answer. If you're at the bottom of the standings in your league and you need a pitcher to do well for a while, I think Yuri Perez is the bet. But if you are in a league where six teams make the playoffs out of 10 and you're not really concerned about, you know, what happens in the next, you know, two months because you're pretty happy with where your team's at and what you're doing, then I think Alec Manoa might be a better bet just because we're confident he's going to be pitching at the end of the season. Like, unless there's some sort of an injury that's causing these bad numbers and his inability to put a ball on the strike zone. Um, we're confident he's going to be pitching at the end of the season. And we have 51 starts of a really, really good looking Alec Manoa that we can kind of lean on that maybe he can uh, figure something out and bring that back up. So it is a little bit of cop out. Also, I think that like a points Roto league can kind of be a little bit of a distinction here. Like if you need like wins are really big in points leagues because it's a lot of points and like getting racking up innings is really good for points leagues so i could see an argument for if you're in a points league alec manoa might be better and then if you're in a roto league yuri Perez is better but obviously like if quality starts or wins or the category in the roto you gotta take that into account too but i think yuri perez will almost undoubtedly have better ratios at the end of this year um so i think that's another way you can look at it too so it's a little bit of cop-out answer kind of a little bit of both of them but <clears throat> yuri perez is very exciting Next one we've got, there's two more pictures. We've got Mitch Keller or Kodai Senga. I think had I asked this question like two weeks ago or even just a week ago, I don't think it would have been in close at all. Um, I think that Kodai Senga's most recent 13 strikeout performance kind of gave us a little bit of like what he could be or what he kind, kind of like he could take the league by storm maybe like moving forward if he's really figured something out. Um, that ghost fork looked really good in this last start and got a lot of swings on it and everything looked good. He had 13, 13 Ks. It's hard to argue with that, but Mitch Keller has been just incredible this whole year. He's just one of the best pitchers in baseball, apparently. Um, but obviously like the underlying numbers. And I, I said, I don't remember if it was on the last podcast or two podcasts ago, but I said that Mitch Keller wasn't really striking out that many guys. All of a sudden he started to strike guys out, but his swinging strike rate isn't actually, um, like as impressive as even I think Kodai Senga's is probably maybe a little bit better. Um, so I think his K's will probably come down a little bit, but I'm curious if we think Mitch Keller is going to keep this up throughout the season or if we would rather have Kodai Senga. I can start with Brock. 
Yeah, this is uh, quite a tough one. I really wasn't a fan of Mitch Keller coming into this season. Um, former highly touted prospect for the Pirates. Um, he Has he pitched a year or two maybe in the MLB and hasn't looked good? And then this year really four years um, for the Pirates and then comes up this year and looks – I mean, he's the number one fantasy pitcher. Um, so it's hard not to choose him despite um, my, my, my bias from the previous few years. Like you say, Kodai Singh is more of a recency bias thing. Um, I think that in – I do own Kodai and one of my – Kodai is on my team. Sorry, Eli. Um, in one of my other leagues. Um, and he's been a lot better of late. I think his set, his third and fourth start, he gave up four runs um, pretty early, but recently been missing a lot more bats. Um, like you said, struck out 12 guys. Oh, man. I think you've got to go Mitch Keller. It's the same reason if I'm going to stick true to it. You ride the Morel hot hand. I think you've got to ride the Mitch Keller hot hand just because through, what, eight or nine, uh, seven or eight or nine starts this year, he's the number one fantasy pitcher. So I think you roll with Mitch Keller. At least I do. Um, Kodai is more of an unknown. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't like either of these guys either. But I think you got to roll with the number one fantasy pitcher, unless you unless you think you can sell high on him. I would sell high on Mitch Keller. I think Mitch Keller has a bit more of a track record than we're giving him credit for. So maybe ten starts into last year, he added a new sweeper that is just absolutely disgusting. Um, in the second half of the season last year, he had an ERA in the low threes. was very, very solid for Pittsburgh. Um, furthermore, Kodai Senga has a long track record of walking a lot of guys. I find it hard to believe that he is going to pitch into the sixth, seventh inning, like, super frequently. Even in Japan, he had walk. you know, he was walking three to three and a half guys per nine his whole career. And he's got great stuff. But I, I, I can't take that over Mitch Keller right now. He's looked so fantastic. And he looked so fantastic at the end of last year. Um, clearly, he's going to work deeper into games. And, you know, he might not have those spectacular, you know, games like Kodai showed out in his last start. But, I mean, he, he seems like he's going to be a real consistent top-of-the-line pitcher for the Pirates for the next, you know, however many years they have him. Um, Kodai is very talented, obviously has great stuff, but I think the control is always going to be an issue. He's 30. It was always an issue in Japan, and it's shown to be an issue in the big leagues. I like him a lot, but I think Mitch Keller might be a legitimate one-two in the big leagues, where I see Senga as a, a high upside three who could give you you know a lot of Ks on every, any given day, but he can also go out there and have no control and, you know, walk four, five, and just destroy your whip. I think we're all going to agree for the first time through this segment. I am also taking Mitch Keller um, for a lot of the same reasons that Ben just mentioned. I think Kodai just has control issues, and they're, they're too prevalent, and he clearly has not overcome them. Um, even this start where he had 13 Ks, I think he still walked three guys. I don't know if he's had a start 
this season where he hasn't walked three guys. I'll pull that up real quick. Or if he has, it's only been one or it's been very few games where he hasn't walked um, three guys. And that's in each start, three guys in each start. So I think that you can't ignore that. And I, there was, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Chris Towers on the CBS podcast was talking about Kodai Senga's ghost fork um, and how it it seems this year that it's been incredibly effective against teams the first time they've seen it. So like the first game against a team, which was the case with this 13 strikeout performance he just had, that ghost fork is getting everybody uh to be swinging and missing. Whereas when they see it again or deeper into games, they start seeing it a little bit better and it isn't quite a novelty anymore and it's not quite as effective. So I think I'm going with Mitch Keller. I don't think this one's particularly close for me. Um, I like Mitch Keller. I like Mitch Keller quite a bit. I had a prediction at the beginning of the season that Mitch Keller was going to be 2021 Robbie Ray or whatever season Robbie Ray. Did he win the Cy Young? I don't remember if he won the Cy Young or not, but he had one season where he was incredible and I predicted that Mitch Keller was going to do that this year. So the more and more Mitch Keller does this, the better I feel about that prediction. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I am a big Mitch Keller fan. So I think we all are in agreement on this one for the first time. The next one I predict we will probably all be in agreement again, but we will start with Ben on Chris sale or Garrett Cole. Um, did you just throw this in because you traded Chris Sale, Garrett Cole for Chris Sale Plus? I mean, you got to go Garrett Cole. He's probably been the most consistent and best fantasy pitcher in baseball for the last five years. He, like, single-handedly carried my pitching staff into the playoffs one year when he had, like, what, like 280 Ks. Um, Chris Sale has looked good, um, showing a little resurgence this season, which is awesome to see. I feel like the MLB is better when Chris Sale's good. He's a lot of fun. But I think there's not really a question whether you'd rather have Chris Sale or Garrett Cole. It's, it's got to be Garrett Cole all the way. Yeah, as the beneficiary of Garrett Cole in that deal, um, dealing uh, Chris Sale and Jordan Lawler for him in a dynasty format, I'm also going to have to choose Garrett Cole. However, Garrett Cole's looked pretty bad in his last few starts. Um, he has always kind of had problems with home runs. I say always, ever since he got to um, New York. And Chris Sale's been on the opposite end of that spectrum, started a little rough, but he's been can nine plus for the last few starts. Um. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the obvious answer is Garrett Cole, but that's not to discredit Chris Sale's resurgence here. I think that he might end up being a top 15, top 10 pitcher um, if, as long as he stays healthy. He's been nasty. I'm um, going deep into games, not walking guys at all, um, and striking out. I, don't, I should pull up his cape or nine, but striking out a lot of guys again. Like Ben said, it is good for the league um, when Chris Sale is healthy and. Garrett Cole is the answer for me, but I don't want it to, like, again, completely discredit what Chris Sale's done. I'll let Nick uh, ooh and all over Chris. Well, I thought we were all going to be in agreement on Chris Sale here. I'm shocked. <laughs> but I, I think it's closer than you would think. Um, Chris Sale has had a quality start in five of his last six and has 
K'd at least eight in all of those quality starts. Ooh, except for one. He kicked five. But he's had he's been K'ing a lot of people. His swinging strike rate has been crazy good. Uh, at the beginning of this stretch, his ERA was at eight. He's gotten it all the way down to five. He's brought it down three runs in the last five starts. Um, oh, actually, in his last five starts. Yeah, he's brought it down three runs in his last five starts. Um, he's been very good. Uh, he hasn't been walking, guys. His walk-to-strikeout rate for his career is, I think, one of the best in Major League history. He's always been a guy that doesn't walk guys and strikes a lot of people out, which is just a really good recipe for success. Um, I think that Garrett Cole's success at the beginning of the year and strikeouts were a little bit deceiving. Um, I think he wasn't getting nearly as many swinging strikes as he has in, in the past. And I think that he's kind of looked at least a little bit like a different pitcher since they really started cracking down on um, the sticky substances last year. Um, but obviously Garrett Cole is really good. <laughs> um, and I think, a little bit of what you can say about him getting blown up a little bit in his last few starts is I think just the Tampa Bay race have his number. Um, the only truly bad starts this year have come against the Tampa Bay race. All the other starts this year have all been, you know, good. <laughs> and most of them have actually been quality starts other than the two Tampa Bay race starts. Um, so I think I take Garrett Cole here and we are all in agreement However, I do think it's closer than you would think. And Chris Sale's velocity is up to where it was. Like, his velocity is higher now than it's been in the last, like, five or six years. And it's back up to where it was when he was an elite pitcher. Like, one of the best in the league. And I think that obviously is a good sign. The numbers have been reflecting how much more dominant he's been. And I think that is a really good sign for his pitching right now. You could say that maybe it's potential Chris sale does kind of have a history of injuries and the fact that his velocity is getting back up there. It, it does maybe concern you a little bit that he's going to get hurt. And obviously Garrett Cole has not that I can remember at least has had, has ever had, you know, uh, an issue with injuries before he's been kind of a workhorse, especially for the last four or five years, which is another obviously point in favor of Garrett Cole. Um, I am taking Garrett Cole here, but I do think it's closer than you would think. I, I really like how Chris Sale has looked um, over the last few weeks, and I don't necessarily like how Garrett Cole has looked to this season with his swinging strike rate, but I do think he's better. That ends our Would You Rather. I think we had a couple that were like pretty close between us, and we disagreed a lot, so I thought that was, that was a pretty good segment. I just kind of put that together here and threw some names together that I thought would provide good debate so i think that turned out pretty well next topic we're going to do is sophomore slumps we've got kind of each of you assigned to a few sophomores that seem to be slumping and these so sophomore slumps i feel like will happen a lot where a player comes up and they're amazing their rookie year and then either pitchers like figure out how to pitch them or what pitches they struggle with or you know whatever it might be and then they really start slumping a little bit but these in particular, I think, especially the first couple that we're going to talk about here, were players that were elite last year, like elite, elite at the top of the class and top of Major League Baseball. And Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt, a little spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you two of the names we're going to talk about, were guys that were talked about 
in, you know, first they were drafted in the first two rounds of fantasy this year. Like people thought they were one of like some of the best 20 players in major league baseball, which I don't necessarily think either of them has fallen out of that status, but each of them have looked pretty bad this year. And it's been quite a stark difference from their rookie seasons. So we can go to Brock talking about Julio first here. Um, what just, we can kind of run through all these sophomores and their slumps and what we think is going on there and how confident we are. Like, where do we think their skill set lies? Do we think it lies closer to what they are doing now? Or do we think it lies closer to what they did last year? Yeah, I, uh, I'm the resident Julio Rodriguez stand on the podcast. Um, so I guess well, just for people who don't know, he is a Seattle Mariner. He was a former top three um, prospect last year and went on, made it to the finals of the home run derby last year, um, hit had a, a million home runs in one night um, and then hurt both of his wrists and then pretty much played hurt for July and then just set out most of August last year. Um, so he kind of ended his rookie year hurt, but he still ended up, um, I believe, yeah, he won rookie of the year. Um, so coming into the season, he was kind of rehabbing just multiple different injuries, wrists, his back was kind of hurt. Um, this year he's batting 216. I don't believe in batting average, but he is batting 216. He has seven home runs, 22 RBIs, eight stolen bases, and a piping hot 688 OPS. Um, but all that to say, I, if you look at his underlying numbers, he's still 98th percentile max exit velocity, 97th percentile um, sprint speed, um, 97 or 87th percentile on average exit velocity. His hard hit rate is still really, really high. Um, but his big blues are his K percentage, chase rate, and whiff percentage. So what that tells me is he's selling out for power too much. Um, he's striking out more than ever um, in the minors. That wasn't ever really a big concern. He was always a great um, bat-to-ball prospect with great exit velos, um, and he's like one of the fastest guys in the MLB. So from a fantasy perspective – I'm not that concerned. He's still going to provide you with power and speed. Um, it's going to hurt the OPS and average, but I'm not worried at all. Last year, he started really, really, really slow, if you remember. Uh, he did like 13 strikeouts um, on on balls that were called strikes out of the zone. Um, so this year, he's starting slow again. I'm just swinging and missing too much. I wonder if that's um, the effect of having Teoscar Hernandez around him all day. Because it looks very similar to his profile and Eugenio Suarez, his two mentors. Um, my confidence level in him rebounding is about as high as it can be. Um, I think that, like I, I like I kind of illustrated there, he's just swinging and missing too much, swinging out of the zone. He just needs to shrink the zone, be more selective. When he makes contact, he mashes on the ball. That's one of the hardest hit. Hardest average exit velocities in the league, um, so he just needs to find it, find his, find his uh, zone again. Um, so I, I'm really not worried about Julio Rodriguez um, in real life or from a dynasty dynasty perspective. And who knows? Maybe this is just what he is all year, low average, but he hits 35 home runs with 25 steals, and that's still elite. Like that's a sec, a first two round pick in fantasy. So. Um, I'm not super concerned. And like I said, last year, he, let me pull up the stats from last year. Um, last year, he had a, 
Oh, I can't see. He almost went 30-30 last year, and he missed a month and a half. So when he gets hot, he's going to be hot. So not worried at all. Ben? Ben, tell us about Bobby Witt. Okay, so I feel like I'm going to echo some similar things Brock said about Julio Rodriguez here. The fact that, you know, slow start to last season. So maybe his profile is just a guy who starts pretty slow. But if you look at his stat cast, it's actually kind of ridiculous how similar his numbers are to last year. Like it's almost a carbon copy of his stat cast from last season. Exit velocities are literally in the exact same percentile positions. Um, but I think people were really looking forward to maybe Bobby taking a step forward this year. And that really just hasn't happened at all. His chase rate is just insanely high. And I think that's the type of thing that's going to hold him back from being a truly elite player, from being just a very solid fantasy producer who puts up like fourth, fifth round value. You know, I think he's you know still going to hit home runs, still steal bases. But, I mean, until he gets that chase rate, you know, in check, it's really going to limit his ability to, you know, be a truly elite player. If you chase less, you're going to get better pitches to hit. You're not making contact with bad pitches and making soft contact. So I think, you know, I don't think Bobby Witt's necessarily been a disappointment. He's, he's kind of been what he was last year. He's going to steal a lot of bases. He hits the ball really hard. And, you know, he's going to have weeks where, you know, contact is a struggle for him, you know, but I'm absolutely not sounding the alarms on Bobby Witt. He's still, I think, 22. And it has to be taken into account the fact that he's playing in one of probably the worst lineups in baseball. So the chase rate's going to stay low if people, I mean, going to stay pretty high, especially when people aren't really going to want to pitch to him at all. You know, and, you know, hopefully them moving him down in the lineup for the first time, you know, gets him a few more, you know, meat fastballs to hit, you know, get him going a little bit. But, you know, again, I'm not really worried about Bobby Witt. However, he's really going to have to, you know, change something about his approach to become, you know, that first two round player that everyone thought he would be this year. But again, not sounding the alarms at all. He's incredibly talented, super young. And the fact that he's putting up like almost identical numbers to last year, advanced stat wise, you know, kind of, you know, gives Bobby Witt owners some hope. Yeah, I think I'll just touch on these two and then we can move on to the next ones. But I think I'm actually more worried about Julio Rodriguez than I am about Bobby Witt. Um, And it's the K rate that really does that for me. Um, Their chase rates are honestly almost identical. Um, They're chasing pretty much about the same pitches. Julio's is a little bit worse. Um, but the strikeout percentage, Bobby Witt's only striking out 21.9% of the time, which is pretty much right in line with what he was doing last year. Um, and his strikeout rate hasn't jumped. I think a, a lot of what you can attribute his slow start this year. I actually am not sure. It looks like everything pretty much looks the exact same as last year. Um, his max exit velocity, like everything looks the exact same. His K percentage hasn't gone up. Whereas Julio's K percentage um, has gone up. Well, it actually is the exact same too. What the heck's going on? <laughs> um, oh no, actually I lied. It, it's gone up about about two percent. 
it looks like it was 25.9% last year and is now 27.8%. So his strikeout percentage has gone up two full percentage points. So I guess that's the only thing that you can really look at in either of their profiles and be like, oh, I'm a little bit concerned is just that jump in K rate. But even that jump in K rate, like it's only 2%. Like it's not that big of a deal. And 27%, yes, it's bad. It's bottom 20th percentile in the league. But it's not like irrecoverable. Like 30, 30, once you start hitting 30%, that's when you're like, okay, this is too much. Or even 29% can be pretty bad. But he's not even at 28% yet. Um, I, I really like the fact that Bobby is still down below 22%. I think that's really good. Bobby Witt's sprint speed is a hundredth percentile, which is insane. Both of these guys have similar, like they both are able to hit the ball in like upwards of 90th percentile and both their sprint speed is ridiculously high. I think both these guys are going to be fine and I'm not worried about either of them, but I will say that if there is one thing, um, if there is one thing to be worried about in either of these profiles, um, it's the strikeout rate for Julio Rodriguez jumping. Um, and I did say Bobby Witt's sprint speed is 100th percentile. It is 100th percentile, but it's it's technically 99.9. He's the second ranked runner in Major League Baseball behind only Corbin Carroll. But it shows up on Baseball Savant as 100th percentile. I assume it just rounds. But he is the second fastest runner in all of Major League Baseball behind Corbin Carroll. Nobody's going to be faster than Corbin Carroll for a long time, I feel like. And I don't even think it's really particularly close. Um, but I, it, like I said, I do think the only thing to be worried about in either of their profiles is that 2% strikeout rate jump for Julio Rodriguez. I don't think I'm, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not worried about either of them. I think they're both great and they're both going to be fine. If you, uh, if you look at Bobby as a real-life player as well, just looking at real baseball, like how valuable a guy is, Bobby Witt has made incredible improvements defensively. He's in the 100th percentile and outs above average, and last year he was one of the worst defensive shortstops in baseball. So that's something that's like been pretty impressive for Bobby, Like despite his offensive struggles. That's awesome to see Bobby go from maybe the worst defensive shortstop in baseball to maybe the best. That's... That's some pretty cool stuff right there. So I, I'm not at all concerned with Bobby long-term. Unless yeah, it's a broken bat single on the infield, then he'll chase the bat, not the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from last night. I think that's ridiculous. That is some voodoo magic. I'm looking at that jump that you're looking at right now from being outs above average, the first percentile last year. So like you said, almost literally the worst defensive shortstop in all of Major League Baseball. So now he is in the 100th percentile, meaning he's right near the top, if not the absolute best shortstop defensively in all of baseball. I don't even understand how that's possible to jump. I that think much. shortstops really struggle when they first come up defensively. It's just kind of a, a almost a universal thing. Did Bobby play third some last year? That's kind he of my did. own ignorance. That's he maybe did. some of it too is moving him between positions. Not that it's a, a huge difference, but. The hot corner is yeah. not for the faint of heart. Yeah, but just jumping from 1% outs above average to 100 percentile is right. absolutely absurd. But yeah, I'm not worried about either of those players. Mm-mm. Now we're going to get into some of the people that I am actually a little bit concerned about. Uh, Brock, you can go ahead. Hmm. I guess I'll start this off with the preface that Michael Harris has been injured. Um, he's 22 years old. Um, 
sorry, I have Michael Harris. He's the center fielder for the Atlanta Braves. Um, they called him up out of double A last year. I'm kind of out of nowhere. He was 21. He, he also won rookie of the year, the NL rookie of the year, Michael Harris. Um, and he was elite. He mashed the ball to all fields. Um, he hit 19 home runs, stole 20 bags. So 2020 season, I'm in like half a year. Um, and then this year coming into the year, in one of the first few games, he I honestly don't remember how he did it, but he hurt his knee. Um, he was rehabbing his knee. Um, in the games before he hurt his knee, he looked pretty bad. He wasn't making much contact. Um, he's rehabbing his knee. He comes back, and then he hurts his back. Um, so dealing with two injuries as a 22-year-old, um, pretty rough. Um, all that said, um, he still did – um, hit the ball really hard when he was playing and he was still running really, really fast. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt just because again, he's 22 dealing with two injuries. He really hasn't played that many games. Let me see how many games he's played this year. Nikki got that up quick for me. Cause I am really bad about pulling up stats while I'm trying to talk. I see he but, has 86 at bats. So yeah. One not. home. It's like, it's probably, he's probably played like half the games. Yeah, one home run, four stolen bases, batting 163, uh, 486 OPS, which is just absolutely abysmal. But again, they called him up from double A last year, um, midway through the season, put up a, a near 2020 season, um, looked really, really good. I don't, it's too early to call. Um, I am obviously worried that he's looked really bad in the time that he has played, but um, I think once he gets healthy, um, then we'll be able to make a better call. But I think at this time, my confidence level is just like the middle of the road. It's hard to say um, due to the injuries. Ben, you want to mm-hmm. talk about uh, MJ? Uh, yeah, I'll hop into MJ Melendez here. So this is the guy who's probably had the worst luck in baseball all season. Um, so he's hitting 211, which actually isn't much worse than what he hit last year. I think he hit 217 last year, something around there. So hes I don't think he's ever going to be a real batting average guy. But, man, is he hitting the ball absolutely just some of the hardest in baseball and just having horrible luck. Um, this is a guy who I think's due to kind of, you know, break through a wall here soon and just have some of these hard hit balls start to drop. Um, I saw a stat early in the season where he had like nine batted balls where he hit like a certain mile an hour with a certain launch angle. And like the expected like batting average for those balls was like 600 and he was like, Oh, for nine on them. I mean, that's just brutal. Um, He's hitting the ball so hard, and yeah, his his walk rate's down a little bit, and his K rate's up. The whiff percentage is huge, but I mean, this is clearly a very talented hitter who can absolutely smoke the baseball. I also think it's important to note that like he's a catcher, so about ninety nine percent of catchers, unless you're Adley Rutschman, J.T. Romuto, or Will Smith, are pretty imperfect hitters. So it's it's far too soon to give up on a guy like MJ Melendez, especially with all the talent he has. Um, like I said, just horrible luck to start the year, hitting the ball so hard. 
I, I feel like he's a, a guy who's just due to start seeing, you know, more balls fall in gaps, more balls hit over the wall. It also sucks that he plays in in Kaufman, which is just a horrible park for hitters, uh, which I think has nerfed a lot of his numbers. I mean, I think if he plays in Great American, we're talking about him as like one of the most surprising breakout players of the year because he'd probably have like 12 nukes right now. Um, but I'm really not worried about MJ, how hard he hits the ball. Um, you know, the K rate's always going to be high, I think. But I don't think sophomore – like, I don't think this is a super concerning sophomore slump. Again, he's one of those guys whose advanced stats are kind of mirroring what he did last year. He's just, you know, not having any sort of luck at all. I don't think he's ever going to hit for a super high average, but you got to think some of these real hard hit balls he hits into the gaps got to start falling here soon because there's no one who's had worse luck in baseball so far this year than MJ Melendez. Two Royals on the list. Yeah, True, that lineup needs all the help they can get. Um, I'm going to talk about one last sophomore slump. And this sophomore slump is a little bit of an asterisk sophomore slump. It's Jeremy Pena. <clears throat> His numbers don't actually look that bad this year. I think he's got six homers, six deals, which is enough in fantasy to be doing it. Um, but he has been a little bit worse pretty much across the board this year. But it's just been a little bit in every single category, like his K percentage is a little bit worse is, you know, max exit velocity is actually, it's actually quite a bit lower. His hard hit rates down, slugging percentage is down, like everything's just down, like just a little bit. Um, but the one thing that's down a ton is his defense, actually. It's funny, we went from uh, Bobby Witt to Jeremy Pena in this way, but Jeremy Pena was, in terms of outs above average, I guess as a shortstop was 92nd percentile last year. So really good. But this year he's all the way down in ninth percentile. So he had something happen where he no longer can play defense anymore, apparently. Um, and everything else is just kind of down. I guess I didn't realize how fast he was. He's 95th percentile sprint speed last year and 96th percentile sprint speed this year. Like he's a fast player. Um, but he, he only had 11 steals last year. I like, I don't understand why he's not running more, I guess just the Astros don't run a ton. He doesn't walk ever, which doesn't help. So he's rarely like obviously walks, but you on first base and are good opportunities to steal. His walk percentage is less than 4% on his career. It's 3.8, super, super low. It's only 3.6 this year. So that obviously takes away um, running opportunities, but also um, the Astros just, I, I don't think they run very often. Um, I think Justin Tucker could have a lot more steals than he does. And um so I, so unfortunately that 96th percentile sprint speed, I don't think you're really going to get full advantage of at least while the current managing is in place in Houston or while he is still a member of the Astros. Um, but Little kind of information. Um, he leads baseball and I think he's tied for first in baseball and caught stealing attempts. He actually has 11 attempts. He's been caught five times. He really? might just be bad at stealing bases. Maybe he's just bad, bad at stealing bad bases and he's just fast. Yeah, I guess he's maybe his his like read on the pitcher is just bad. So I guess I guess so they are running him. He's just with 96 percentile getting caught after they made all these rules to make stealing bases easier. He's getting caught with 96 percentile sprint speed. Um, yeah, so I guess I mean I guess they're running him. I guess we can't really complain about the Astros uh, 
Astros not running them then. Well, I think that basically the reason why I'd say it's a sophomore slump with an asterisk, like I think who you're seeing right now from Jeremy Pena is probably just who Jeremy Pena is. And it's, it's pretty similar to what he was last year. Um, just slightly worse everywhere. I think he's probably somewhere in the middle of what we're seeing right now and what he was last year, but I think it's, it's pretty much just who Jeremy Pena is. We have any other uh, final thoughts on sophomore slumps before we move into, we'll go through news and notes pretty quick. And then Brock has a game for us today. So we'll go into news and notes. I guess the one thing that I wrote down here is that Oakland had a game where they had a little over 2000 fans there. That's like, that's a high school basketball game. Like that, that, like there are high school basketball games that have more people there than that. Like that's ridiculous. 2000 64 fans at a major league baseball stadium. That's absolutely ridiculous. And I'm very sad with what Oakland has been doing or not Oakland has been doing what the ownership has been doing and just absolutely punting the team and not caring about the team at all for multiple years now. And it's just, it's been horrible. And I guess there was a little bit of stuff that I've been seeing where um, I guess Nevada and Las Vegas isn't willing to put up all the money that, the owner was hoping for the stadium. So now there's like some questions whether or not they're going to actually be going there. So that, I mean, 2000 fans at a stadium is absolutely ridiculous, but I'm just going to run through all these little news and notes things. And you guys can talk about all of them, one of them, or none of them, depending on what you want to talk about. Um, I guess there's an expansion franchise proposal. Um, the Orlando dreamers. This guy is like, I guess, ready to start up this franchise. He's got this big stadium reveal. I don't know if you saw that on social media, but the stadium actually looks really awesome and it's pretty cool. Um, and I think that would be, I mean, that'd be fun, but I don't know why we're trying to put another baseball team in Florida. I feel like the Florida teams, even when they're good, like the Rays have been good for so long and yet they still have nobody that shows up to their games. Um, so I don't understand why we would want to put another team in Florida. And I think the name, the Orlando Dreamers, probably needs a little bit of work too. It's just, I don't know. It needs it needs some work. But the stadium proposal was sick. And if they move it to a different place, then maybe that could be good. And drum roll, please. We've got Vansel coming in. I'm going to admit him. We're going to do a little bit of a, a little bit of an introduction, and then we can continue with the news here. And last but not least, we have the greatest Valorant player on the west side of the Mississippi. It's a shame he's had to turn down offers from every Valorant esports team so he could remain fully committed to our dynasty fantasy baseball league. Please carry me out of bronze. Vansel, welcome. We've missed you. I have a question can for you. Hear me now that you are... Yes, yes, we can hear you. We've got a question for you as you enter this podcast, and then we'll jump back in. We're in the middle of news and notes, talking about the Orlando Dreamers and Oakland having no fans at their games. But your question coming onto the podcast is, what is your favorite Pokemon? Um, let's go Squirtle. Do you care to, do you, do you care to elaborate on that? Sure. I usually always pick the water type Pokemon whenever I was growing up and playing them and I feel like that was one of the more memorable ones maybe that or what was a mudkip 
Yeah, Mudkip. Mudkip was a good one as well. Would you say that that first round of games was your favorite uh, generation of Pokemon games? Uh, yeah, I would, because I, I think that was my my first ones. So they're definitely the most nostalgic. Yeah, I think that first round, I think Gen 2 and Gen 1 are pretty much the best in my opinion. But Squirtle, it's a good pick. I like that. All right. We can jump back into the uh, news and notes. We we're talking about the Orlando Dreamers and their stadium reveal. Um, like I said, I think the stadium is really good, but I don't know why we're trying to put another team in Florida. And I don't know why they want to be called the Orlando Dreamers. Uh, next thing I have is the Wander Franco. I don't remember if we talked about this on the last show, but he got a ground ball and he like kind of like tossed it up to himself and looked at it and then grabbed it and then threw out Brian Reynolds. I think it was awesome. I think it was really fun to watch. And they interviewed Brian Reynolds and they were talking to him about it after the game. He's like, oh yeah, I saw it. It doesn't, you know, it was dumb or I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, I wasn't impressed. And I just think that like doing stuff like that and having, you know, a scenario where <clears throat> they're interviewing Brian Reynolds after the game, asking about how Juan Franco is like tossing the ball up in the air. I think that that is like kind of fun and it's like good for the game. Like he's kind of being a little bit showy and it just looked really cool. Like if you haven't seen the video, you should look it up. Wander Franco throwing out Brian Reynolds. You like just, I don't know. It was, it was pretty cool to watch and I thought it was kind of fun. Obviously, I think that it makes the play so much harder than it needs to be. And if he does that and drops the ball, he looks like an absolute fool. But I thought it was pretty cool looking. Um, and then the last thing on the news and notes, and we were actually hoping that Vance would be back for this, so I'm glad that he is here. The Cardinals are back. All we had to do was put out a podcast called The Cardinals Implosion, and then they're back. All of a sudden, they've won... I think it was 10 of 12, maybe. And then they lost last night and then they won again today. It's something they're on, they're on quite the streak right now and they've been playing very well. So that's been refreshing. Nolan Gorman has put it all together seemingly, um, which is exciting. We hadn't really been letting him hit against lefties, but and then we put him in against one of the best lefties in major league baseball and Arias and, uh, in Los Angeles, and then he hit a home run off him. Um, so I think that we'll just throw Nolan Gorman out there every single day, I imagine now. Um, but I think that he's been obviously resurgent. I think that Lars has been kind of slowing down a little bit, but he's still getting on base. He just walks like crazy. So he's been fun to watch. Goldschmidt hit another two home runs today. I, I think, I mean, we just look good again. And it's been quite refreshing. Our pitching... Um, still has been great. I'm still frustrated that we put Libertor in the bullpen after he came up and pitched like five solid innings. I don't know what we're doing there. Even if we didn't need him in the rotation, I don't see why you don't just go to a six man. Like, I don't know if maybe like some of the old guys in the, the rotation refuse to do six man and get like the extra day rest, like Steven Matz and Wainwright. And I don't know if they like refused to do a six man, but I think it's crazy not to just do a six man if you don't want to put one of them in the bullpen. I mean, I think Matt's probably just belongs in the bullpen at this point, but I don't know if, you know, that he would be willing to do that. Some of the older guys in the league are hesitant to do stuff like that, but all right, that's all, that's all the news. So we got Oakland with no fans, the Orlando dreamers, Wander Franco and the Cardinals. You guys can pick and choose whatever you want to respond to Vansel. We can start with you. Uh, I'll touch briefly on the Cardinals. I said after that Tiger series that 
if they lost that series, I would take a break from watching them until May is over. So I haven't really been watching and they're playing better. So you're welcome, everybody. I appreciate Except that. For ben, I guess. <laughs> Any other stuff, or you want to go on to uh, Ben here? Looks like we can go on to Ben. Um, I'll start with the athletics. Um, that is some real abysmal attendance. I was at the Big Ten tournament today in Omaha, which is like a notoriously poorly attended event, and there was more than 2,064 people there today for a Michigan-Iowa game, which, like, it's Michigan, Iowa, like two pretty, like, it's not like they're huge baseball schools. Michigan's made the college world series a few times, but like for a college game in a notoriously, a notoriously poorly attended event, there was more people there than an MLB baseball game. That's absolutely crazy to me. Uh, next up or Orlando dreamers. Uh, that's a horrible name. Uh, just awful. What was he thinking with that name? Also, if they added an expansion team, would they not want to add another expansion team to kind of even out the number of teams in each division? So um, I'm going to begin the lobby for putting an MLB team, yes, in Omaha. Um, I'm telling you, it'd be a great city to have an MLB team. They had like a Royals-Detroit game here two years ago, which is like they were like the two worst teams in baseball and it sold out. So if you put an MLB team in Omaha, there's going to be an avid fan base. I think that would be some fun stuff though. It's never going to happen. Um, lastly, I'll touch on the Cardinals. Um, all you guys needed to do was beat the Cubs in a series and you're back. All of Cubs Twitter after you guys started playing well was like, God damn it. We fixed them. All they needed to do was kick our ass and they're back. They just needed to figure out that they're the Cardinals and that we're the Cubs, and they start playing good baseball. Literally all of Cubs Twitter was like, oh, this is the worst. We suck, and we fix the Cardinals at the same time. I hate life. Cubs Twitter is, is pretty down right now. If Christopher Morrell wasn't hitting all these home runs, it would be like the saddest space on social media because of how horrible we've been. So, yeah, the Cubs uh, fix the Cardinals – it actually wasn't Vansel. You're welcome from Cubs fans. I'm just glad I'm going to be able to watch the games now. A few more weeks, Vansel. <laughs> I'm going to go reverse order here. Um, yeah, Ben had my talking point. Uh, mad props to the uh, Chicago Cubbies for opening the floodgates. Um, yeah, we need to just bat Nolan Gorman every day. I mean – we moved Wilson Contreras back to catcher, and miraculously, everything is still fine. He wasn't really the scapegoat all along. Um, Wander Franco throwing the ball up in the air as he's throwing out Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds is a hard-o for that. I mean, it's just like a bat flip. Like, if you can do it, do it. Um, if you don't do it, you look like a fool. So, I, I, I don't think that's a – I don't know. I don't think that's bad sportsmanship or – showboating but i think it's kind of clean i liked it orlando dreamers yeah that's pretty that's a pretty tough name but the orlando magic also aren't a great name i wonder if they're trying to do like the whole disney world you know orlando deal 
Um, but Orlando should be like the last choice. Tampa Bay already can't fill their stadium and they have like the best team in baseball. Um, and then to Ben's point, Omaha will not get a team because that's Kansas City's TV market. Um, they also host the Omaha Storm Chasers, who had, whose hat I happen to be wearing. Um, so they get to see the likes of Bobby Witt and MJ Melendez there in Omaha. Um, all those great Royals prospects that come through the system every 20, 30 years, they get one or two. Um, and then... 2,064 fans. I mean, that's almost the same size as my hometown, so that seems like a huge turnout to me. Um, yeah. We, I don't think we should be talking expansion, especially with Oakland right there. I mean, they can't fill their stadium. They can't field a competitive team. How are we going to expand when we can't even have competitive 30 competitive teams as it is now? Um, yeah, that's my little news and notes rundown. I think expanding – if you're going to have an owner that's willing to invest in a team, I think is good. So I think, I mean, I think expansion would be cool. They've talked about Montreal, I think too, a little bit. And I think that would be a fun place. I think a Mexico team would be cool. Like Salt Lake city, I think could be cool. Um, there's a kind of a big gap between Colorado and all of the Western teams right now that isn't really filled. I guess if they're trying to put one in Vegas, it would maybe fill that a little bit, but think Salt Lake could be cool. Um, and just to go back to the Cardinals thing that you mentioned again, because um, we haven't really talked about it since that implosion that they were having before with the whole Wilson Contreras situation. There was a quote. We didn't even talk about Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty's looked like he's kind of back. But there was a quote from Jack Flaherty, like kind of apologizing and more or less saying like, oh, I was just upset after my bad start. And I like took it out on you know, Wilson and like, it wasn't his fault. I'm happy to have him back behind the plate again, which is like obviously good for him to acknowledge that that was the case. But I think it says less about Jack and says more about the Cardinals organizationally that they were just taking, you know, a pitcher who just gave up 10 earned runs and they're like taking him for his word that like, Oh, it's this catcher that they had just signed to a five-year deal. They're just going to, listen to Jack Flaherty coming off his horrible start saying that he can't pitch to Wilson Contreras and all of a sudden Wilson Contreras isn't our pitcher anymore. And then literally two weeks later, Jack's like, yeah, I was just pissed. And I was just saying stuff. It's like, okay, then why is the Cardinals organization taking their cues from a pitcher who's pissed after giving up 10 runs and changing the whole structure of their catching for the next five years, like, why are they going to do that just based on this? And then I guess maybe the reports just got blown out of proportion and stuff, but I'm just, I don't know. It was, it was frustrating. It was good to see Jack acknowledge that, but it was frustrating from the organizational standpoint that, that that was something that even happened to begin with. Brock, did you have something you wanted to say there? Yeah. I was just going to say this because Mo, um, and Jack Mo loves Jack Flaherty. I don't understand the infatuation, but he loves Jack Flaherty. So when Jack complained, he did Jack's bidding, it seemed like. Yeah, so I think just that whole situation just looks bad on the Cardinals. Um, but I think it looks good for Jack that he's like coming out and saying that. And now he's pitching great, even with Wilson behind the mound, like or behind the plate rather. So I think that is all good. 
The last thing we have on the docket today is a game. Not just any game, not just a normal game. This game is hosted by Brock. So I'm going to hand over the reins to Brock and take us away. All right. So um, my game of the podcast is a little rendition of MLB Guess the Player, um, which I tailored almost specifically to Mr. Vansel. Um, that is because they have an Instagram page. I'm, you guys can't see it because I'm on Zoom here. But when I, my brother um, put me onto this and said this would be a good idea. So he sent me this link I followed. It looks like Brendan Vansel also follows. So he should win this game. Vansel, before we get started, do you have anything to say for yourself? Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a lot of pressure on me now, seeing that uh, <laughs> the guy that always wins all the games is out, and I follow the page that sounds like you're getting the answers from. So uh, I hope <laughs> I do well. It's a it's a little rendition. I tried, I tried not to use all of them because I figured you'd probably seen them. So without further ado, I'll explain the rules of the game here. I am going to give um, team names that a blind that you're going to guess the, the player's name the teams that they've played for in the past. These are all current players. I thought just in the sake of making it easier, I would use current players. Um, and we'll just do, for this, it's kind of like a buzzing in deal, but if someone buzzes in first every time, we might have to figure something else out. But Bates, well, is there any way you could turn on your video camera so you could do the raise of the hand? Or if anybody else can brainstorm an idea to like buzz in first. We could do that reactions hand raise. Oh, there oh, he there is. We, go. we got him. All right, I'm going to clear my throat before we get started here. All right, all right our first one here. Okay. Um, he is so, a... so you're just going to give us all the teams that they played for, and we just buzz in and we guess. And that's, that's guess who it is. Yep. Who it is. Okay, cool. That's the game. All right. The first one here, Cleveland Guardians, Philadelphia Phillies, Cleveland Guardians, formerly the Indians, Kansas City Royals, Seattle Mariners, Pittsburgh Pirates. Is that Would you in like chronological order? These are Buzz. in chronological order from oldest to current. Biff Buzz. has buzzed in. Uh, Carlos Santana? That is correct. That would be Carlos Santana. Let me very nice. Uh, very nice. Get a get a little tally sheet here. All right, and then our next one is going to be the Kansas City Royals, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Los Angeles Angels, Los Angeles Dodgers, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Houston Astros, and the Kansas City Royals. Ben again. Uh, sorry, guys. Zach Granke. That is correct. You guys going to have to be quicker than that. Yeah, I'm dominating. All right. The next one is the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm just going to say the team name because my throat has had enough. So, okay. Brewers, Rangers, Orioles, Mariners, Twins. Rays, Nationals, Padres. Vansel? Uh, first one that came to mind was Nelson Cruz. 
And that would be correct. That's a good one. Yeah. That is Mr. Bansel's first point on the board here. All right, this uh, one's can a we get a short recap real quick. We've got Ben with two, <laughs> Bansel with one, Nick with a measly zero. <laughs> we see why he usually hosts these games. <laughs> All right, next one. We've got the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Chicago Cubs, the Atlanta Braves, and the San Francisco Giants. That's Mr. Ben Alden. That would be one Jock Peterson. That would be correct. All right, this one might this be This is a good game. Different. I swear I'm getting them. It's just a second or two after other people. You just got to raise your hand quick and then think it through for a second. All <laughs> right, this one, we've got the Cincinnati Reds, the Kansas City Royals, the Atlanta Braves, the Mets, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Marlins, the Twins, and then a second go around with the White Sox. Bansel? Yeah, this is Billy Hamilton. That's correct. <laughs> Nick, Nick. Oh, my gosh. That's your guy. <laughs> wow. It sure is. <laughs> I forgot that he had gone to so many teams. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this one may be unfair, but we've got the Chicago Cubs, the Washington Nationals, the Boston Red Sox, and the Philadelphia Phillies. Is that Vance uh, or that was kind of a no, tire. You waving it. I'm putting my hand up. Give it to Vansel. He needs the help. No, Vansel? I thought I knew it, but then I didn't know it. So I put my hand down. Okay. Ben? Oh, that, that's Kyle Schwarber. <sighs> that is correct. We've got uh, Ben with four, Nick with zero, Vansel with two. <laughs> it's not that funny. I don't understand. <laughs> you cut out when you were reading the second score. What was it? <laughs> I think I said Nick has a zero. <laughs> All right, Nick's going to get this one. All right, we've got the Cincinnati Reds, the Kansas City Royals, the Giants, the White Sox, the Marlins. Bansel? Uh, you did have oh, your I hand up before one. I finished. All right, I know. Nick? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nick, uh, Redemption? Uh, I was going to say one, but I don't think that's right anymore. So I oh, think I'm my gonna, goodness. Uh, I'll give you guys a foggy reread. Them. Them one more time, yeah. Yeah, can you reread the teams? I'm going to go with a new hand raise here. The Reds, the Royals, the Giants, the White Sox, the Marlins. Ben? No, I lied. I have no idea who it is. One more time. The Reds, I can give you the years on this one if it helps. I did put the years on some of them. All right, he was with the Reds from 08 to 14, the Royals for one year and 15, the Giants from 16 to 21, the White Sox last year, currently the Marlins. Oh, I got it. That's kind of a tie. I'll give it to Vanceville. Johnny Cueto. That is correct. I was just trying to think who's old on the Marlins. Yeah, I think he's actually on the IL, but. Yeah, I was thinking of, I wasn't even thinking about pitchers either. All right, this one, hopefully Nick or Vansel can get quickly. I'm going to clear my throat really quick. Let me mute myself. 
That's a disqualification, Vansel. Do you have a guess? Yep. <laughs> Tommy Pham. All right, we've got the St. Louis Cardinals, the Tampa Bay Rays, the San Diego Padres, the Cincinnati Reds, the Red Sox, and now the Mets. Oh, my goodness. I could not believe he just did that. Is that I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two for that. That puts Vance on the oh, lead. That's garbage. Oh. That's garbage. Well, I don't know how you did that. It's tied four to four. We'll just leave it four to four without the additional point. All right, we've got four <laughs> remaining. So Nick, you've got to go four for four here. All right. How did you guess Tommy Bam? Okay. Well, you've been given a lot of travelers, and you said that. Nick and I should know it. Tommy Pham's been around the league. Duh. Great context clues. All right, we've got the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Washington Nationals, the San Diego Padres, and the Cleveland Guardians. Ben? That would be one Josh Bell. That would be correct. And that officially eliminates Nick from the running. <laughs> I love how this game has just turned into bully Nick. <laughs> I can still play spoiler. <laughs> it could be a it could be a tie. Okay. We've got the Atlanta Braves, St. Louis Cardinals, Chicago Cubs. You guys are all raising your hand before I finish. And the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'll give it to Nick just because you all three raised your hand at the exact same time when I said Cubs. Ben definitely <laughs> had his hand up first. Yeah, I also don't think – oh, oh, this is Jason Hayward. And that would be correct. Just trying to keep the shot out. Please, for the integrity of the game, please wait till I've uh, read off and completed the final and present team before raising thy hand. All right. Now that we've established those ground rules, um, the next one is the Oakland Athletics, the New York Yankees, the Cincinnati Reds, and the Minnesota Twins. That would be Ben Altman. That's my boy, Sonny Gray. <sighs> All right. Well, Ben has six. Nick has one. Vansel has four. There's one remaining. And as we always do, this is for the game. This is what you guess I'm... this one. You guess this one, you win the game. In no particular order. I'll give you the particular order. The Pittsburgh Pirates, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Miami Marlins, the Oakland Athletics, the New York Mets. That'll be Ben again. Yeah, I'm going to continue my dominance here and go with the previously talked about Starling Marte. And that would be correct. I almost removed his name because we spent about five minutes talking about him earlier. Wait, where, he played for the Oakland Athletics? Briefly, after a trade deadline deal from the Diamondbacks to the Athletics. Yeah, I and that concludes that. my game for the podcast of blind guessing the MLB player based on their former teams. With the final Just score saying I was of... the only one to actually truly blind guess one. <laughs> the true blind guess award goes to Brennan Vansel. <laughs> and Ben with a total of seven correct answers is your night's winner. I'm pumped. I've never even come close to winning a game on this podcast, so this is big for me. I'd like a plaque. I figure, maybe. 
I figure I let the boys have a chance. <laughs> that was a good game, though. I liked that game. Yeah, follow the Instagram account. It's fun whenever you're just scrolling through. Yeah, I will have to do that. And then maybe I'll get better at it. It is, I will say, some of them were, like, I probably should have known this, but I didn't know Zach Grinky pitched for the Angels. Also, the Diamondbacks. I don't really remember him on the Diamondbacks. He signed that huge contract with them. Yeah, I should have got the uh, I should have got the Granky one, I think. But I, I, for some reason, whenever I play these games, I never think of pitchers. Like I'm always just thinking of position players. And like whenever I'm trying to think of, like when you say, you know, he's on the blank now, I'm always like thinking about box scores and trying to run through their lineup. And I'm never, you know, trying to think of their pitching rotation. So. Yeah, I was going to do pitchers that have bounced around a lot, but a lot of them are, I felt like, pretty obvious. I felt like Sonny Gray was kind of hard because, I don't know, I feel like he's bounced around and people don't really know him as much. But, like, relievers bounce around a lot. And if that was – if it was the tiebreaker, I was going to do Joe Kelly. I thought one of them was going to be Joe Kelly. I was waiting for you to have a Gary Sanchez one since he just got called up to the Mets. Just Mm -hmm. really throw. I also thought about doing who they were drafted by, but that was that was really confusing. <laughs> so. Well, that looks like it'll be it for the uh, podcast. I think we're pushing two hours once again. Unless does anybody have uh, anything they want to throw in? Anything they want to shout out here at the end? I guess we'll continue the uh, Paul Harmon shout outs going. Paul Harmon, thanks for yeah, listening. Shout out to Paul. He moved into an apartment by himself. That's huge. But- the adult life. I'm going to go mm-hmm. shout out to my brother, Caden. Um, he came up with the idea for that game. So big props. Shout out Mr. Malone for being uh, an avid listener of the show and talking to me about it while I was uncomfortable at Brock's engagement lunch. I did get engaged. That's a shout out. Getting engaged. Congrats to Brock on getting engaged. Shout out Olivia Gooch, Brock's fiance. I'm uh, I'm tied Avid down listener, life, I'm boys. sure. Avid listener, I'm sure. <laughs> Never listened before. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to uh, follow us on Twitter. Leave a review on uh, Spotify and wherever you're listening. Really, I tried to get us on Google Podcasts. I don't know if that's working. So if you're listening on Google Podcasts, you made it. We're definitely on Spotify. We're definitely on Apple. So leave reviews there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It was a good show. Peace, boys.